What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Warning. This podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. Spooksters, and welcome back to another stabby snippet here on Three Spooked Girls. It is I, Jessica, one of your hosts, and as always, I'm joined by my better pod half, Tara. Hey, Spooksters. Just as a reminder, on September 18th, we are hosting our second year Podiversary live event, and it's going to be freaking spectacular. It's going to be fun. We're going to do a giveaway. We're going to do some really fun stuff, and it's going to be a great time. And if you want to get your tickets now, because it is a paid event, you go to the link tree below or our website or our socials. It's literally everywhere Mm -hmm. and you can get it there is a vip access it is a total of twenty dollars you get the live event and then afterwards you get like a meet and greet with tara and i so that'll be that'll be really fun we get to interact with you guys Mm -hmm. and also you're gonna get a little swag package that tara and i are working on behind the scenes it's gonna be a, a lot of fun we hope you guys really like it space is limited for the vip because we want to be able to spend time with you guys and not have it be like you know <laughs> like you get a second we want to be able to spend some time with you yeah um, we'll answer questions we'll hang out it'll just be a really fun time so if you want to do that check the show notes check the link tree check everywhere it's everywhere yeah anywhere you find us yes well on today's stabby we're going to be talking about a very interesting case i didn't know too much about this <laughs> you're welcome Yes. So we're going to be talking about the Uber killer from 2016 and probably the one of the funnest places in America, you can say, which is Kalamazoo. (laughs) Such a horrible thing happened in such a fun place to stay. Right. Fun place to say, not stay. I mean, I'm sure it's fun to stay there, too. Probably. So we're going to be talking about Jason Brian Dalton, and he was born June 22nd, 1970. He was raised in Greenfield, Indiana until about high school age, which then he moved to Kalamazoo and went to Comstock High School. He was said to be their co-captain of the football team. And friends say that he really wasn't one to like get down with the trouble. You know, he was very respectable, which is nice, I guess. 
I mean, it's really hard if you're in high school and you're getting in trouble because then it's not enjoyable. So it sounds like he pro- he had like almost the all-American experience. Mm-hmm. He ended up graduating from that high school in 1989. And then he attended the Kalamazoo Valley Community College. He graduated in December of 1992 with an associate's degree in law enforcement. However, he did not enroll into the school's police academy, which was a little strange. And according to an old friend, he um, tried to seek a job as a police officer in Michigan and in other nearby states. And he didn't really want to move too far, which is weird because this friend is like, yeah, he didn't want to move too far. But then he literally he went to a place called Wyotech, in which is in like Wyoming. And he went there to it's like a tech school. So it was like auto body tech is what he was doing. And he found work at a BMW office in New Jersey at one point. So it's like he wasn't that adverse to living other places. I think maybe he just didn't want to be in the law enforcement. Mm-hmm. But this allowed him to get a job, like the schooling and everything allowed him to get a job as a mechanic and then as an insurance adjuster. In 1995, he married his wife, Carol. They had two children. And in 2016, when this event happened, their children were 10 and 15. And just fun fact, his wife divorced him pretty fucking fast. Like, we're talking like within a week. She was like, bye. Mm -hmm. He was generally described as a nice guy and a good family man, though it was reported that he'd been acting like he was depressed days up to the killing, because obviously you know where this is going, people. Later, his neighbors would come out and say that he was acting like paranoid and weird. Other than that, he was described as a great guy. Now, it's hard to think back, like 2016 is like Four years ago. Mm. Doesn't feel like it. Right. Like when I was like 2016, yeah, two years ago. No, Jessica, it's definitely, it's definitely four years ago. Yeah. So it's hard to think back into like 2016 and like think that it's four years ago. And it's also hard to think about like four years ago, people didn't have Uber everywhere. Right. It's such like a common place. I've, I guess I've lived in like metropolitanish areas where Uber has been a thing. I mean, is Uber big up where you are? Yeah, we have it. Yeah. Well, that's good. Uber had just come to Kalamazoo. And so Jason decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start driving for Uber because he wanted to go on a vacation. And he thought this is the perfect way to save up extra money faster is by doing an extra job. So he would drive like some nights and on the weekends. And just so that everyone knows, an Uber representative did state that Jason had passed all of the company background checks. So he wasn't like there wasn't any big red flag about him. However, one of his former co-workers at the insurance company recalled that Jason would that yelled at a customer on the phone and then like slammed it down and then paced angrily back and forth at his desk. Which I'm like, I get that. Like I've worked in customer service and sometimes customers, if you get a Karen on the phone and they're really mean and you're just like, you either want to cry or punch someone. Pretty much. And it also is stated that he had been counseled previously about his professionalism towards customers. An interview with another customer of his said that basically he was for the insurance adjusting. He'd called Jason back because he needed to re-examine the vehicle because he missed damage. Jason was like super unprofessional and like screamed at him. So like he had a bit of a temper. So on February 20th, 2016, which was a Saturday, it was like a normal day. And Jason ended up meeting up with a friend for lunch and they decided to go gun shopping, which wasn't an unusual thing because he happened to like guns. 
his garage had been broken into and some like stuff had gotten stolen, like tools or equipment. And he felt like he needed a gun to protect himself, even though like nothing happened to him per se. But they went to three different gun shops and he ended up purchasing a black jacket that had pockets that was designed to like conceal a handgun. Jason's friend described him as in good spirit. So did like the owners and the shop workers at the gun shops. They were like, yeah, he was in really great spirits. He seemed great. The only thing his friend said is that he was a little bit more quiet than normal. So after parting with his friend, Jason decided to begin picking up Uber riders for the night. And he would do this in a silver Chevy Equinox. I don't know what year it was. I looked up. I couldn't find it. Everyone just was like, it's the Chevy Equinox, which I'm like, cool beans, dude. Like, what year? (laughs) And he also took his dog with him and it was in the backseat, which is kind of weird because I'm like, "Uh, what? Well, I mean, I would be very excited if I got into a car with and there was a dog because like I love dogs and it was like a German Shepherd type dog. So I'd be like, oh, my God, it's a Chloe. Aw. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, so it was him, his car, and his dog, and they hit the road. At 4.21 p.m., Matt Mellon requested an Uber driver, and Jason picked him up. Basically, Matt had said that he left his car at a friend's house the night before because it was Friday, and he needed to go pick up his car. Matt said at first everything was fine, the car was going well. Like, he wasn't, like, super talkative, but he wasn't, like, rude. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, and mind you, asterisk here, apparently Jason had gotten really great ratings from his previous Uber peoples. Okay. So he was like, you know, people were like, yeah, he's great. He's a great guy. So like I said, he was going to pick up, Matt was going to pick up his car. Jason was driving him. And at some point during the ride, Jason got a call and he took it on speakerphone and it was his son and his, you know, cause like it came through like either the audio of the car, but Matt could hear the conversation and it was son calling, asking if he was going to be home at dinner and that dinner was going to be at 530. Apparently the conversation was just like a couple minutes long and Jason ended it and it was like freaking snap. Something changed and Jason started driving fucking crazy. The thing is, he's like driving erratically and like going up on curbs and stuff like that. So it's like he's driving like he's in Fast and the Furious, but he's driving like calmly. So he's like Dom and Fast and the Furious. And that was like kind of the unsettling part with Matt is that Matt's like freaking out because he's running stop signs. He sideswiped a Taurus. Let's see, what other things did he do? He entered oncoming traffic. He drove through the median strip in the middle of the road, ignored a stop sign, sideswiped a Ford Taurus, which I'm like, oh, poor Ford Taurus. And so this time Matt is like, dude, just pull over. Like, oh, there's my friend's house. Or, oh, they like just randomly pointing. And I guess like the louder that Matt got the more irritated Jason would get. And he would like ask him questions like, where does your friend live? Why do you want out? Don't you want me to take you to your friend's house? And he's like, let me out. And basically at one point, Jason just slams stops at like a stop sign. And Matt just like tuck and rolls out. He's like, bye. Basically, the lady who lived in that house came running out. Her name was Casey Black. And she was just like, and he just like fell out of the car. And I came out running to help him. And we called 911. If you've watched Kendall Ray's, because Kendall Ray has done an episode on this on her YouTube channel. I agree with her sentiment. So Matt calls 911 and you can hear the interaction on her. She actually plays it. This is why I wanted to bring her up. So if you want to listen to it, click on that link in the sources page. It's basically like it sounds like the 911 operator is super annoyed to be talking to Matt. And like, in Matt's defense, he doesn't know how this is supposed to work. Like, in a time of emergency, the person on the end of the phone that's like calling 
should not be the one to control the conversation. It should be the 911 operator. You can at me if you think I'm wrong, but like if you don't know what happened and you literally just escaped from a madman's car, you would think that the person on the other end of the phone wouldn't be like, well, what do you want to do? It's like, I get people have bad days, but then just don't go to work if you're in that line of field. Mm-hmm. So basically, they put like an APB out on the Chevy Equinox, right? This included the license plate because Matt was very thorough and had gotten the license plate. Like I said, Matt would later report that he was super calm the whole time and whatnot. Anyway, so back to Jason. At this point, Jason is driving off erratically. He returns home at 4.45 or 4.43 p.m. and he gets his bulletproof vest and he puts that jacket on and supposedly picks up one of his guns. I don't know how many guns he picks up at this time, but at least one. At 5 p.m., Jason calls his wife and asks him to meet him at his parents' house because he wants to switch cars from the Chevy Equinox to the Hummer H3, which I'm like, how many freaking cars do they have? Because we'll talk about there's another car and it's like a lot of cars. However, on his way to his parents, Jason decided to pick up another Uber rider, and her name was Macy, and she lived in the Richland Town apartment complex. And Macy had given him, like, really unclear directions, and so Jason grew very frustrated, and they were on the phone with one another, and they ended up hanging up, or Jason ended up hanging up on her, and then, like, peeled off down the road, but then ended up turning around erratically and driving back. At this time, a 25-year-old woman by the name of Tiana Carruthers was walking her daughter and four of her daughter's friends to another person's house, like another friend of her daughter's house, and she wanted to walk with them because she wanted them to get there safely. Can we please applaud this mother? Even though I think they were like in the same complex or near that, she didn't just let four girls go roaming or five girls go roam off by themselves. So at this time, it's very specific. At 542, Jason sees her and begins to ask her if she's Macy. And she's like, no, but she's got a little bit of an attitude in her voice because this guy is driving erratically around children. Rightfully so. She put on her like her mama hen, her mama bear, her mama panther, whatever spirit animal you want to attribute to her. She put that on, right? And then he keeps going, are you Macy? And she's like, no. At which point in time, Jason takes out his gun and begins to fire on them. Tiana tells the girls to run and not stop running. Can we also applaud this woman for telling these children to like, don't go high, just keep running because you are less of a target if you're moving versus if you stop somewhere. Tiana is hit six times. Four of them is she's directly blocking bullets from hitting children. Jason later would say that he emptied out his clip. I looked it up and that's about 15 rounds. They found 10 shell casings at the scene. Tiana is obviously hit six times and this is life-threatening and is like, oh my God, what's happening? And she basically kind of stumbles upon a neighbor who comes out because they hear the gunshots. And this was really great because like the neighbors, they got the kids to safety. They made sure they were good. They called 911 for her. Like you can listen again, Kendall Ray, like she has like perfect clips in her videos. You can hear like the 911 call from the neighbor. They interview a neighbor and she's like, I didn't even know her. She's like, this is not how you're supposed to meet your neighbors. And then at this time, like this all happens. And like a minute later, Jason is gone. Jason would call Macy about 20 minutes later saying that he hadn't responded to her text and that he could not give her a ride because something quote unquote came up, which we all know what happened, which I'm like, Macy, how do you not know what happened? (laughs) And like I said, it was really quick. Like within a minute, Jason was gone. He was actually seen a mile down the road running a red light. So like really fast. 
At this point in time, when he ran that red light, he struck another vehicle and then fled the scene. And he's just like a guy. He was taking his wife out to get ice cream. Like, how sweet is that? And he gets hit. And so they didn't know, obviously, that this was the shooter, which would make sense later looking back. Basically, this man would see later on the news about the Chevy Equinox and like call in and say like, this is what happened. At this point in time, he like Jason drives to his parents' house where he meets his wife and his wife is probably like, what the fuck happened to the car? Because I would have been like, what the fuck happened to the car? Right. He told her that he had been hit by a disgruntled taxi driver driving a Chevy Impala and he fired at him in rage for Uber drivers taking over their business. So I'm like, were there gunshots at his car? I don't know what happened. So he tells his wife this. And Jason told his wife that he had called Uber already and that they were going to take care of the incident and that she didn't have to worry about it. But also he's like freaked his wife out, right? So he hands her a nine millimeter Taurus handgun telling her that it's not safe to be at home without it because apparently the taxi drivers are fucking crazy. In addition, he instructs her not to go to work on Monday and to not take the children to school. So then Jason tries to take their Hummer H3, but it won't start. So he ends up taking her black Chevy HHR. And Jason told his wife that he couldn't tell her what was going on right now. But when she watched the 11 o'clock news, she would know it was him. After leaving that, he went and withdrew money from an ATM. And this was at 645. So the one thing I will say is that he's, his movements were very well documented. After that, they presumed he, he was driving around for about 35 minutes and then he returned home to switch handguns. A lot of this is like him telling in the aftermath of this. He said that he left at 737 and continued accepting Uber drivers, which he carried out without incident. None of the passengers took notice to anything unusual or alarming about him, which is fucking crazy that, like, he just shot people and then, like, turned around and was picking up Uber riders. Later that night at 827, Jason's wife would call him, but he told her not to call her parents. So that's the last known we have at 826. We don't know what happens for, like, almost an hour and a half. Or a little over an hour and a half, I should say. So at 10.01, Jason was driving around where there was like an auto mall type place. Um, I believe it was called the Sealy Auto Group. Or sell, I don't know if I'm saying that wrong. I apologize if I said it wrong. But this happened to be a very special night for a different family, which happened to be the Smith family. Richard Smith, who's 53, and his 17-year-old son, Tyler, were out shopping for Tyler a truck because he was a senior and he needed a car and he was going to be graduating and all these things. So Richard wanted to get him a truck. And they were joined that evening by Tyler's girlfriend, Alexis. Jason was driving around and then like pulled over for a little bit near this, like kind of across the street. And I don't know if like they had kept looking back at their car, which Jason thought he was looking at their car or what. But Jason got out of his car at 10.05, walked up to the two and shouted, what are you looking at? And before they could even respond, Jason shot both of them shooting 18 rounds. Alexis was so scared she didn't get out of the car, which is like, I don't blame her. I wouldn't have gotten out of the car either. Like I would have gotten like lower into the vehicle and she didn't get out until Jason or until Jason drove off. And Alexis went and grabbed Tyler's phone and called 911. However, by the time the police had arrived, 
both Jason and Richard had passed away and were pronounced dead on arrival. Well, this would not be the end of Jason's night. No, no, no. About 10 or so minutes later, Jason pulled into the parking lot of the local Cracker Barrel, which was about five miles away from the dealership. Jason approached a minivan who in the driver's seat was seated a lady by the name of Mary Jo Nye. And Jason asked her if she could give him a dollar to make America great again. And she said no. And then he shot up her car and didn't just shoot up her car, shot up the car that was next to her because it was part of her group. So in total in the Cracker Barrel parking lot, there were four women who were killed. It was Mary Jo Nye, Mary Lou Nye. They were sister-in-laws. Dorothy Brown and Barbara Hawthorne. And all three of these or all four of these women were killed. They had been out that evening because they had gone to see some sort of like live theater event. When the police arrived, they like saw the ladies and they were like, oh my gosh, this is like so sad. These ladies have passed like they're dead. And then they were looking in the backseat of the car and they noticed that there was a small person in the backseat. And it turned out to be 14-year-old Abigail Cope. And she was 14. And she had severe injuries all over her body, including a gunshot wound to her head. At the time, she was accompanying Barbara Hawthorne, who Abigail called Barbara Grandma. It was like she was a close friend. You know, she might not have had, I don't know the whole story, but basically they were really close. Um, And obviously Barbara had cared enough about her to like take her out for an evening with her friends to see like a show. Initially, Abigail was reported dead and later confirmed that she was not dead because they thought she was dead because she got shot in the head. Like, let's be honest, up until like probably about six years ago, I thought all head wounds were like dunzos. That's not true. You can survive a headshot wound. This story like is so gripping. Like I cried when I watched this. Basically, her mom tells the story is that she flatlined in the hospital and they started doing CPR on her. And her mother was like, I just it was so horrifying to watch this happen. And I thought she was dead. And the mom was like, we have to let her go because she just watched this horrible thing of like her getting CPR. And she's like, if if it's her time, it's her time. And so basically they were spending the last few hours with Abigail. Basically, like her mom was like holding her hand and she said, Abigail, it's me. It's mom. Can you hear me? And Abigail squeezed her hand. And so her mom was just like, I knew right then she was going to be a fighter. So she did. As of February 23rd, she had remained on a ventilator and was in critical condition, though she was breathing on her own by February 28th. So that's like eight days later. She opened her eyes on March 3rd. So it was pretty fast. She was actually discharged from the Bronson Methodist Hospital on March 8th and was transferred to the Mary Free Bed Rehabilitation Hospital in Grand Rapids, Michigan. She had damage to her skull, so she'd had surgery while she was at the Bronson Methodist Hospital to, like, replace the portion of her missing skull. She had a few more surgeries, like there was an infection she had to get taken care of. But good news is that she was discharged on July 26th, and she was allowed to return home. And she had a couple more surgeries after that. But as far as we can tell, like, yes, I'm sure she had a long road ahead of her at this point because it's 2020. But she seemed to be doing really, really well, like walking on her own and being able to, like, communicate, which is huge. So even though it was really sad that four women died, a 14-year-old did survive, which made me happy because I was like, she was so young. It would have been so tragic. Like, I was upset because Tyler had passed and I was like, he's so young. He had his whole life. 
Yeah. But Jason took off very fast from the scene. He was only there about a moment, like a minute. Like this all happened in like one minute's time. And then he basically, I guess, returned home and reloaded his gun. The police are doing a manhunt and they're out there and they're trying to figure it out. And of course, they're looking, you know, basically from like 4.35 o'clock, they're looking for a Chevy Equinox. And now it's 10.30 and they're still looking for a Chevy Equinox. But thank God there were eyewitnesses because they were like, no, he's in a dark colored HHR. And they were like, oh, this is great. So the police started looking for an HHR and they would actually end up pulling over about seven to eight different HHRs throughout the night before they got to Jason, which he was apprehended without incident. But that's jumping ahead just a smidge. So while they were out looking for him, Jason was actually still picking up um, riders. And at 12.04, Jason picked up three people. They said he wasn't too friendly, but nothing alarming. I could see where like, I mean, I've been in an Uber at like midnight and like people are tired and they don't really want to talk to you. So and then he dropped them off. And then at 12.12, he picked up another four and drove them to a hotel. During that ride, one passenger asked him, are you the shooter? And he just said no and was like, hmm. And then he picked up another three people after he dropped them off and he was going to drop them off somewhere else. They asked him the same question and he was like, I am not. No, I'm not the shooter. I was very, very adamant about it. Well, at 1236, a police sergeant with the Kalamazoo County Sheriff's Department observed Jason dropping off those three passengers. So he followed them and requested backup. And once he was joined by more of the Kalamazoo Police Department officers, they did a traffic stop. They pulled him over. And you can watch the video. It's out there on the internet. And it was, like, pretty uneventful. Like, they did the whole, like, driver hands up, that kind of stuff. And they apprehended him and they took him in. And at that time, he he was wearing the jacket that he had purchased that evening, the bulletproof vest, which he told police that he bought the vest for his son, who was an explorer with the Kalamazoo County Sheriff's Office. I was like, oh, cool. Your kid is a like cadet cop. And they also found a handgun in his waistband. At this point in time, they didn't realize that all of these shootings were connected. I think it was like they knew that the one at the dealership and then the one at the Cracker Barrel were related, but they didn't know about the one earlier being related to him. So the police take him in that night and they start questioning him. And they are like, wow, this guy's really nice. In fact, one of the detectives said, he's like, you seem like a very pleasant man. And he was like, thank you. And like, he actually said to them, like, thank you for being so nice to me. And they're like, well, our job isn't to be rude. And they were <laughs> like, cool, like, we're getting somewhere with him. And so they would be like, so Jason, like, how many people do you think you killed today or tonight? And he'd be like, I plead the fifth. And they would be like, what? And so they'd start talking about something else. And then they would say to him, like, well, what do you want to talk about? And he's like, I don't want to talk about that, but we can talk about whatever. Like, yeah. And he was very calm. He was very mellow. He was very, like, polite. He sat up when they were talking to him. Like, it was just very, like, he engaged. And then they'd be like, well, why did you kill those people? And he'd be like, I plead the fifth. But because the detectives treated him well, their kindness actually wore him down. And he began to tell everything. He actually told detectives that he believed that he had killed Tiana because he said that he thought he hit her with all 15 rounds and that nobody could survive that many rounds. So you're probably wondering, 
why did he do this? Well, that's the one thing he would tell them like right away is why he would do it. Jason believed or at least said that he believed that the Uber app made him do it. Yeah, you heard that, right? (laughs) Tara's like, no, that's not a thing. (laughs) He told detectives that as soon as he clicked on the app, something took him over mind and body. And he said that he believed that Uber was evil and that their logo was of a horned devil or demon or a cow. A cow? Man, this reminds me of our vampire cow. (laughs) (laughs) Yay, vampire cow. That was a while ago. Right? (laughs) So on February 22nd of 2016, Jason was arraigned on 16 charges, including six counts of murder, two counts of assault with intent to commit murder, and eight counts of using a firearm during the commission of a felony. And on May 3rd, he was ordered to undergo a psychiatric evaluation to determine his competency to see if he is competent to stand trial, which he was deemed competent to stand trial. On April 22nd, that's when they found that he was competent to stand trial. And I'm going to say this name wrong. Eusebio Solisa, a former like chief assistant prosecutor, and he was also a commissioner of a county, was appointed to be Jason's like court-appointed lawyer. And then on May 20th of 2016, so happy 30th to me, (laughs) a primary hearing was held to determine whether there was enough evidence to try him on all the charges, which there was. And this was like, I watched part of this and it really made me sad because it was like, Tiana got up and spoke. Like, this is literally like February to March, March to April, April to May. We're talking three to four months after like she got shot six times. She took the stand from like, she had to be in a wheelchair. And so while he's in the stands, uh, while she's in the stand, he just like, he has these like verbal outbursts and it like makes no sense. Like he said something about seeing a big black bag and carrying a big black bag and driving with them. And when the judge is like, you need to listen to your lawyer and be quiet. He's like, we got to go to temple. And it was just like utter ramblings. At this point, Tiana, mind you, has just been through a trauma, is up on the stand. Like, again, mad props to this woman. Like she's... Tiana's my hero. She's up there. She just like breaks down and is bawling, which I would have too. And the judge was like, are you okay? And he's like, the judge was amazing in this. He was like handling everything all at once. He had him removed. And of course, Jason had to be forcefully removed. Basically, the bailiffs and the officers were like picking him up to like walk him out. And he went all noodly. Y'all know what I mean? And they had to like drag his ass. Mind you, most of the time he was trying to make eye contact with Tiana. So like they saw it as like a some way to like intimidate her. And then she's bawling. And I was like, oh my God. She was like shaking and bawling. And it was just so sad. But the judge was like, you know what? He's not, we're going to proceed, but he has to stay in jail. And they basically like Zoom called his ass in so that he couldn't do anything because they could just be like mute his ass. And Jason's attorney said that they were going to go after a legal insanity plea. Basically, he underwent a psychiatric evaluation conducted by the Michigan Center for Forensic Psychiatry. And this is a process of like 60 days. So for 60 days, he was like being evaluated. His case kept getting delayed. So basically, there was supposed to be a status conference 
on August 15th, but on August 12th, they postponed it to September 30th with the Kalamazoo County Chief Assistant Prosecutor saying that the evaluation had not yet been finished as of September 30th. And then they kept postponing. It was supposed to be in October. And then it was the same reason at that time as well. And his lawyer was saying that it hadn't been completed so that they couldn't give a fair evaluation till the end. But oh, don't you fret, my pets. He was deemed legally sane. And then the trial was set June 13th, 2017, but again, it was delayed and basically it got delayed all the way until January of 2019. So they basically start, it was scheduled to start on January 3rd. Like they were picking like jury selection at that time. And then opening statements were scheduled to start on January 7th. However, on January 7th, instead of opening statements, Jason pled guilty to all counts against him, stating that this was something he'd been wanting for a very long time. Those were his exact words. And on February 5th of 2019, Jason was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, and he is currently being imprisoned at Oaks Correctional Facility. Now, I do want to offer my tips about Uber, because while during this time you couldn't contact Uber if something was happening to you or if something had happened directly from the app, you'd have to like go and get online and contact them. That has been updated and there's safety precautions on the app. Here's something, a tip, because I used to travel a lot with my last job. And one of the things that I always recommend is having a buddy who's not with you Even if you're in a group, having a buddy who's not with you, that you send a screenshot of the Uber or the Lyft or whatever you're using, send it to that person. You can also, there's like an alert where you can like send it, you can send alerts like as you travel, like you can put someone in. I typically do that to Thomas, um, to my husband. Because if I went missing, it would either be him or Tara would file the missing persons report. But it also is helpful to send that out because if something were to happen to you, the thing is like, I really liked how like Kendall Ray put this. There is a false sense of safety in these like rideshare apps and in taxis and stuff like that because you're getting into an unknown vehicle. But there's like a sense where like, oh, this is okay because they pass some sort of background. But basically all Uber does is pull your your driving background. I mean, I think they also check like criminal background, but like this dude was normal. Like he had no priors. They would have had no way of being like, nope, he a bad dude. Yeah. And I mean, and just the fact anybody can snap at any point. Right. True. Very true. So that's my tip when traveling is have a buddy, send a screenshot. Like the second you get in the car, send it to them. I know there's some audios online that you can like use as like other ends of calls and stuff like that so that it sounds like you're having a conversation with someone. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to say men don't like, I know these are a lot of like, because I'm a female, I do these things, but like men, you should do these too because Matt was a dude and it could have just easily been, you know, he shot Matt in the car and driven out of town and dumped him. And like, no one would have known who it was. So just be safe when you use rideshare apps. I do think that for the most part, I mean, I've always, I've had really good people for the most part. I mean, I've had a couple shady people where I'm like, "Mm." a lot of times with my, (laughs) the truth is a lot of times with the Uber drivers in my area, they just start talking to me. 
and I talked to anyone <laughs> and um, I found out like all these like one guy was like I'm having trouble like talking to my daughter she's a teenager and I just don't know what to do and I was like well what do you want to talk to her about and he's like well boys like she wants to date and I'm unsure of it and I was like well, did you tell her why you're unsure of it? And he's like, no, I just told her she couldn't do it. I was like, well, you should tell her why you're you're concerned. And he's like, really? I was like, yeah, you should say like, I'm scared for these reasons and open that dialogue with her. And he's like, oh, and then he, when he left, he was like, you're you're really nice. I was like, thank you. I always like wonder, I'm like, I wonder if he went home and talked to his daughter and things were okay. Anyway, <laughs> just be safe. And I hope it's, again, it's really weird when we say, I hope you enjoyed this episode, but we hope you enjoyed this episode. And we will be back here on Monday for another full episode. And we will see you then. Bye. Bye. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out, and we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.